Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, happy, happy Sunday. This is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and it is one of those chilly Sundays in New York City where we got a little bit of snow, but, you know, everything is everything. is everything. We're warm, you know. Uh, before we even get started with this dynamic guest that we have, one of my fraternity brothers that I'm actually really excited to bring on air, actually humbled that he took the time out of his busy schedule to be here. But before we get this guy on, I want you and I to catch up and... As you know, I just said that it's chilly and it's a little bit snowy in New York City. And the funny thing about that is I've been in New York for about eight years and am just now, actually this week as of Wednesday, have just purchased my first pair of real winter boots. (laughs) I mean, I've been struggling for years. I mean, this cold weather, I just don't understand. I guess it's just the grind of New York that keeps me here. But for the most part, man, I'm miserable like every winter. I'm like, dude, I should be moving. I should be going. I should be back in California. It crosses my mind every single time. And I finally have my boots. They are from L.L. Bean. And this pair that I got, I call them like my Paul Bunyans. They are huge. But they, man, I I swear I could uh, not wear any socks and I'd be all right in these joints. (laughs) Like they're, they're very, very big. Um, the other thing that I want to share with you is I had the opportunity to do a TEDx youth talk in Diamond Bar, California. And so that will be a little bit later on this month. And I want to ask you guys, should I take advantage of that opportunity? So if you want to give me feedback, let me know whether or not I should do it. Of course, you know, you can call in 212-650-6903, comment on our Facebook live post. Let me know what you think I should do, because I was also contemplating taking a trip to London for a few days, you know, but at the same time. When you have an opportunity like this to be on such a big platform, then it's, you know, usually worth taking that time. But I feel long overdue for a trip outside of the country. So let me know what you guys think. And without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest, Principal Bethias. So I know I would bomb your first name. I want to call you JR. So, brother, please introduce yourself and say hello to the Create Your Life series, family. Evening, evening, evening. My name is Mahali Bathia. I serve as the founding principal of the Eagle Academy for Young Men of Harlem. Right okay. Here in Harlem. <laughs> right here in Harlem. Right here yes. in Harlem, down the street from the city. Yes. So I got to call you JR. That's perfectly fine. Okay. And JR, my first question to you out the gate, man. Did you always want to be a principal? Uh, <laughs> um, interestingly enough, when um, when I was kind of in my in my um, middle school years and high school years. Um, principal was never something that was was on the list but there was one time where we were asked if you could do anything without having to like if you could just snap your fingers and know the skill what would you be um i said i'd either be a principal or a pilot and so i got one of those yeah okay cool so what was that um 
what was that role like kind of transitioning from there? Because I know you were also interested in law at one yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So what? How, how did that go about going from law to education? Uh, the transition's actually a lot smoother than you think. But I, I, I was... I was doing everything you needed to do for law school. I was applying for, um, I applied for law schools. I took my exams. And sometime in between that, I realized that that just wasn't my calling. And so I I had had a, a moment of kind of pause where I didn't know what my next steps were because I'd been trained for years to be a lawyer. Mm. Um, so I actually was given an opportunity to work at a, essentially like a people-to-people type program where there's okay. middle schoolers and you're the teacher and someone said, oh, go da- down there and do that for the summer. And I realized at that point that 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 educating children was the passion and it just ignited me. And so um, from there, I actually applied to some teaching fellowships and that's how my journey started. So you, you've you been prepped and you've been prepping to be a lawyer this entire time. Yeah, and, mom, yeah. and your mom is actually a teacher with... 28 plus years of experience, yes, right? Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. District 9. <laughs> okay. And here in the city. Yeah, yeah. She's, so actually when I started teaching, we were teaching in the same uh, community school district. Wow. I was teaching at the high school. She was teaching at the elementary school. Um, but to this day, she's asking me when I'm running for office. So I'm, I'm pretty sure she is still convinced that right. someday I will, I will, you know, do politics or something like that. I, but but this is what I love right now. So okay, and I mean, well said. This is what you love right now. But what was that conversation like with your mom oh. when you were like, "Look, law, not so much anymore. Education is where I'm coming. I'm basically going into the same field as you, mom." Wow, um, I do remember that conversation. There's not many times um, when my uh, when I, you know when you can hear disappointment. Um, okay. So I got I was accepted to teach for America. I called my mother and I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to be joining the profession, another teacher in the in the family. And, you know, she gave me the, like, that's really great, son. But, like, I could tell that's not what she wanted. Um, and she said, well, you sure you don't want to do something else? Uh, and my response to her was, are you happy? Mm. Um, and she said yes. And I said, well, let me be happy, too. I want to join the profession. I think this is what I need to do. And she never doubted me since. So... Um, it was a weird moment because right. I think it was that moment where she realized, you know, my son is going to be a teacher just like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes with a world of of ups and downs. But but, you know, I after that conversation, I never looked back. How was how important was confirmation or approval from your mom? Uh, it it was important because um, I mean, I guess it, it was it was really important, particularly for my mom, because. You know, I, I knew everything she had sacrificed to make sure that, you know, all the, you know, ducks were in a row. Right. And essentially that if I wanted to go to law school, I'd be able to do it and be financially stable. Um, plus, you know, I mean, I, I, I adore my parents. So, you know, making sure that I was, you know, an added value to the family's portfolio of careers was important. Absolutely. Now, if your mother hadn't approved, what would your decision have been? I don't I don't know. I don't know if she she the mom that I have, right. she would have never just outright disapproved. She would have kind of just like, ultimately, she has always trusted me and my sister mm-hmm. to our own devices. And she said, you know, you, you're responsible for your path. Um, I'll support you in whatever endeavor you take on. Uh, she gave me the kind of like, you know, be warned about teaching. 
mm-hmm. um, for all of its goods and its bads um, and its others. Right. But but I, she would have never I just outright disapproved and said, you know, I don't think you should be a teacher, especially because she is one. Right. Got you. Okay. So speaking of parents, and you say you have these great parents, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, for the Create Your Life series family, if you don't have supportive uh, parents like uh, Mahalio, did yes, I right? Yes, Got it. Got him. Bow. <laughs> I want to say that it's still important for you to pursue what's going to make you happy. You know, remember mm-hmm. he said that he asked, you know, his mom, are you happy? And she said, yes. So then he said, well, let me be happy and do what it is that I want to do. So always do what you want to do. Now, your dad is a is an entrepreneur. Yes. And yes. he has multiple or had multiple karate still has, studios. Yeah. yeah, still has. What was it like growing up in a family with a dad who is a martial arts professional man what is that like um <laughs> um different uh my my parents actually both met here at city college which is uh it's always interesting to be back in this building i guess the first time i ever got lost was in this building nice. um and the story apparently is that i wandered off and the whole theater department was looking for me and they found me in the political science wing next to the statue and that's when they decided that I was going to be a politician because they like they thought it was to be a sign. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, moving forward to my dad building. And that's important because my dad built his first karate school and his first karate program here in Harlem. And so interestingly enough, I have students that go to my dad's karate school. So they either they know Big Mahalio or Little Mahalio. Wow. So that's where the JR comes from. Yeah. It comes from the Judy, yeah. So, um, you know, my dad, my dad kind of kept the karate out of the house until like I got beat up one day Uh and he was like, yeah, no, we're going to, you're going to go to, you're going to train. And so everyone in in the house, uh, my sister, I both have black belts. Um, that's always a fun tidbit for children because they're like, that means you can like pressure point us. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that if I want, but I can't. And I'm not going to. Right. The funniest thing about that, man, you're so chill. <laughs> like you're, you have, I've been around you and your composure and your ability to smile. Huh. Like, I feel like I, I never know if you're upset, if you're not upset or what's going on, man. You just have like this great game face. So I think that that's, uh, I think that that's really amazing. And especially for you to have. You know, this. I guess that's part of the discipline of martial arts then. Yeah, I mean, uh, martial arts is all about conditioning yourself to be disciplined enough to not actually engage in situations where you don't have to. So it brings you to a sense of peace. The reason why I, I smile constantly and keep a game face, part of that is about mindsets. And I tell people all the time, like when you operate on with best intentions in mind, when you believe that people are actually... Like they're 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 operating in their best way, then it it allows you to actually smile at people sometimes even when they're coming at you crazy because you have to realize that to that person they're not crazy they're actually rather logical at this moment and it's our job to figure out um, like why we're not on the same page. But people laugh at me all the time or, or jokingly say, "Oh, you're always smiling. You're you know you're always like." Um, you always seem so cheery and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily cheer, but you know, you have to have positive outlooks on life to be successful around here. Right. You got to have positive outlooks in life to be successful. I agree with that. Now, this is something that I hadn't thought about that I think is really interesting. I didn't notice how similar being a founding principle is to entrepreneurship because you still have to 
Um, <laughs> you have to be fully responsible for your staff. You got to hire the right staff. You know, you're responsible for the culture in the building, the culture amongst the team, the success of the children in the building, the satisfaction of the parents and the target community who essentially are your target audience or your customer. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to utilize your resources. You got a budget, expectations, deadlines. You got higher ups that you have to, you know, answer to if Mm -hmm. things don't go the way. Dude, you you running a startup company <laughs> right now? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it is it is a different type of principalship. I would I want to trade it in for the world. Um, everything down from the marketing of the brand to you know to all the different aspects that you mentioned. You know, when you go to principal school, um, they don't tell you that you know you're gonna be in your three-piece suit, moving bookshelves and, and painting and doing all these other things. Um, that I think most principals, they may not have that experience, but um, starting a school with four classrooms and 59 kids um, and eventually will be at 700 kids, um, you know, it's a process over time. It's actually pretty awesome to see my, my middle school in, 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 full, in full bloom. Yeah. Um, to see the whole floor, to see all the staff. I mean, now building the high school on top of that is a whole new feat. It feels like you're one all over again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, I think one of the, the best things that I've heard is, is that being a principal, and this is so similar to entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. to be a principal, you have to be willing to risk it all. Yes. Because you, <laughs> you might take it. Dr. Gassaway, um, he used to, he was the, the principal of uh, Boys and Girls High School in Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, very well known in the, in the department and, and, and across. But um, one of the things he said to people was, if you're not willing to lose the job, that don't take it. You know, you have to do everything that you believe is right on behalf of children. And sometimes that may or may not rub easy with other people. Um, but as long as that's always your moral compass, you, you know, be ready, be ready for the consequences, but also be ready for the fruits of, of that work and that passion. Um, so I took those words from Dr. Gass away and, and, and never, um, uh, never doubted them, to be honest. Okay. So you went from lawyer to education. Uh, dude, where does this inspiration and hard work come from i'm gonna be honest with you when i'm dressed up i do not like to move bookshelves and do stuff that (laughs) i don't like to sweat a lot of people don't know that about me like i like i hate it i don't wear shirts at home like any like i don't like to sweat what is that inspiration for hard work to do whatever it takes you know in order to become a principal because what now you're you're a full-time principal yes and you are working on your doctorate degree i am at this point but you have a, a master's and an undergrad from uh, my undergrads uh, in political science from University of Albany. Okay. Uh, minor in business and education, and my master's is from Pace. Um, I have certifications for building leadership uh, from Baruch, and now I'm a doctoral student at Fordham. Where does this inspiration for this hard work come from, man? Uh, like the kids, you know. Like I know that every every piece of furniture, every time I have to uh, come in early and staple things on the walls every time um, my staff is going through and doing a variety of different things we know that we're doing it for children that we know that we're doing it in their best interest and my my minimum requirement is that my boys in Harlem should have access to the same things as any other child in any other city um, top of the line and so 
all those things are are important. That that's what drives me, knowing that I want my kids to have the access and have the opportunities that any other kid would have. Just because you're in Harlem and just because you're a, you're a boy of color, right. does not mean that you don't deserve the same. Everything down from the furniture. You know, you'd be surprised. One of the first things I did when, and going back to the the concept of entrepreneurship, one of the first things I did when I when I when I started the school was I literally just got rid of everything that was old, replaced everything with brand new furniture, brand new technology, um, and all of that was important because I needed to message to my boys and to their families that just because we are in an area that, you know socioeconomic status is, is varied greatly does not mean that our boys don't deserve the very, very best. I love that. So how long have you been principal and how long did it take you to get to a principal? Like how long did you work <laughs> in education before you got your principalship? So this is my fourth year as principal. Okay. I am a tenured principal, which is great. Yes. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Superintendent Reeves, for giving me my <laughs> tenure. Um I moved rather fast compared to most people on the track. And so I started my career in 2007 okay. um, as a history teacher and then quickly moved into department chairs, grade team leaders. Um, I became the dean in year four. So I was in the classroom for seven years and then transitioned to uh to this role. And so usually most people that transition into the, pr- I started the principalship when I was 28 years old. Wow. Right? So that's relatively young. Don't you that think? Is, that is, that is, yes, that is very, very young compared to most of the people in the field. So I am the, I'm the youngest principal in the district right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but across the city, um, when I started at 28, most principals, you know, weren't even close. Well, do you, um, are there any pressures of, because you are a younger principal? Do you run into any pressures? Yeah, I, yeah, mistaken identity all the time. People were like, oh, <laughs> like, so you security or like, you know, like, can you go get the principal, please? Uh, that happened at the very beginning since I've grown, you know, I've, I've grown in some gray hairs and I grew in some facial hair. So it kind of helps out. But um, I think more of the pressure is also most of my staff is older than me. So really being able to. I think they have a respect for me because I'm a founding principal, but um, just understanding those age dynamics, understanding and respecting the years that they've been in the craft, um, that's right. important. Um, so, so yeah, there's there's always pressure. And then, you know, being a a black and Latino man, I'm 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 half black, half Dominican, right. of a school of all black and brown boys, automatically there's that extra pressure. Um, so the boys are very, I mean, any child, all children are, are very, very mindful. Um, and they watch all of the things we don't want them to watch. Right. So they watch the interactions in the hallway. They notice when you get a hair change, they notice like, you know, when your glasses are, are different. Um, and so I have to be very, very mindful for the boys, how I model um, expectations and just interactions with people in general. Speaking of monitoring expectations, you're a young principal. You are, you have these young men and they can see and sense that, man, you're really like my big brother. You know, you're the age of my big brother. How do you balance, I guess, being to an extent uh, cool enough to understand what it is that the youth are going through or to be able to relate to the culture somewhat and then also being that authoritative figure to them as well as to your staff members? Code switching is really important. <laughs> uh, 
I tell the boys all the time, you got to code switch. You have to know when to speak where and why. And so uh, for the boys, when I need to be, when I need to handle the discipline and, and, and come with the official, I, I do that. But that doesn't mean that when I see them out on the street that I have to come extremely formal. Right. Um, I guess also by virtue of my age, I just know a lot of things that they know. I mean, so like music, things like that, it, it's a lot easier or natural for me to understand. Um, and so they like, I think I like did a dance at an assembly one day and they like lost their minds. I think I literally, I think I nanayed. I think that's what I did. <laughs> you blacked out, bro? You don't remember? I, no, 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 no. I, like I forgot. I don't even know what the name of the day. It's the one with the hand. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the name. That's the name. So I nanayed. <laughs> Um, and like they caught it on video and you would have thought, you would have thought that I just gave them a million dollars. They went running all around the gym. So, I mean, I think they, they understand, um, you know, they understand that I'm the principal, but they also, you know, kind of see, you know, they see a tattoo, whatever. They're like, Oh, he's young. I'm like, okay. Okay. So what's the, I love that, man. What's the most rewarding part of being a principal? Hmm. When... None. One of the things about teaching is you don't always get to see the seeds that you plant. Right. And so you, you know, you have this hard headed child and you working with them for the whole year and they may leave your room and they may not have been the change that you wanted them to be. Um, but for me, the best part is seeing my seeing my former students on the subway or seeing them in uh, a restaurant and, and, and hearing about their lives and, 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 and them being able to tell me how I influence their lives, mm-hmm. um, you know, that is most certainly one of the most rewarding parts of the field. Um, you know, we are, we are producing tomorrow's leaders, literally, Absolutely. right? And so when you, when you take that level of urgency to it, it's always great to see and hear and, 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 and feel like you have somehow impacted this child's trajectory. Mm-hmm. And they are better off by having been interact had had been in your presence. Okay, so I want to say this because, in my opinion, personally, what you do it hits home for me. Uh, as a as a high school student, we I had a principal of color, uh, Mr. Anthony Gross, and the conversations that I had with him were so. We're just like none other. So I remember growing up, I had one teacher of color who was a male, Mr. Henley. That was my eighth grade uh, history teacher. And then I had 12th grade teacher. Mr. Henley was my, um, was it econ or current events? Something. It wasn't current events. But being able to talk to Gross set me on a different trajectory because I saw a male of color in a leadership role. And then also I was the type of student who would, I had this teacher who was kind of crazy and she was teaching us typing. And I was like, dude, I'm not taking typing. I'm out of here. And I went to Gross and I was like, you got to take me out of this class. Like, this is not going down. And Gross set me down and said, look, you got to be able to look past what, who this person is that's teaching you this instruction. Because believe it or not, you're going to need to know how to type in the future. And there were multiple conversations with him like that that I had. And he had a bald head, so I would go up to him. I'd rub his head. And I'd be like, oh, you my son. I'd just say all kinds of stuff to him. Like, I always, like, even to this day when I see Gross, Gross got to be like 60, maybe close to 70. And I'll see him. I'd be like, you know, you my son, right? 
But we have that type of relationship. We're like, you know, so or do you have any special relationships like that with any of your students? Do any of your students come up, you know, and, and just just joke with you? And is, you just got that bond, man, because I, I have an eternal respect for Mr. Gross and, you know, would never disrespect him and just always appreciated that. He actually told me one of the most important things, too. I know I'm carrying on after I ask you the question, but he told me that there's no job called make money. You make money by being good mm-hmm. at what it is that you do. He told me that when I was in college home visiting. Yep. And that stuck with me. But just that relationship, like I could literally go home to Vallejo and drive to Gross's house and go sit in his house, eat, and have that combo. Do you have any students do you have relationships with like that? Um, well, first, I want to say if there's anybody from the Eagle Network listening to this, don't get any ideas about rubbing my head. I, I do not. We don't. <laughs> I know you rubbed your principal's head, but uh, there'll be none of that ever. <laughs> now, moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, in terms of, of, of children, yeah, most certainly, um, I think relation, relationships vary, but I think we, I most certainly have relationships from my teaching days. Um, students, I still keep in contact to this day. They've graduated college, they're in their careers and just, I serve as mentors to some of them. So most certainly. Okay. Well, create your life series family. If you have any questions for Principal Bathia, please give us a call, 212-650-6903, or reach out to us via our Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. want to send a shout-out to Miss Raven Mack, who is watching, and Ishala Ahava. So, beautiful people, we're going to cut to a quick musical break, and we will be back to hear more from Principal Bathia about running his own startup mm-hmm. in education. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are back uh, with Principal Bathia of Eagle Academy Harlem. Principal Bathia, before we left, uh, you were actually, as a matter of fact, hold on, you got some people on Facebook Live, man, cheering for you. Uh, Dave (laughs) Hamilton is uh, definitely tuned in. He's a a good brother of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. He says, yo. 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 Got uh, Thais Randolph watching, Alicia Nash. Alicia Nash says, hey, hey, everybody, how y'all doing? <laughs> Principal Bathia, please guys. wave to the fam. You know, everybody is uh is excited, man, to have you on, man, talking about the ins and outs of being a principal. It's good and, to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, man. And how entrepreneurship is just like being a principal, <laughs> a founding principal of a school, man. Uh so when we left, you were talking about your relationships with your students and how well, I, I shared a personal story and you were talking about, you know, how you have continuing relationships and you're continuing the legacy uh with your students. And so my question for you is Running a startup mm-hmm. is what we're going to call it. You've said that one of your biggest assets it, in order to execute the mission of Eagle Academy and to educate boys of color, you said two of your biggest assets are time and people. Mm-hmm. How so? Um, you know, when people think of resource, they automatically think of dollars. They think of money. Right. Um, for me, having the right people in place, mm-hmm. um, being smart about because everyone doesn't enter a career or a profession willing and able. So a lot of people are willing to work, but they may not be able to do things. And one of my jobs is to ensure that if they if they're willing, I'm supposed to support them on the able, right? And making sure that they have the tools that they need to be successful. Um, and so people, um, number one, from a budget t- standpoint, people are your are your largest expenditure. So most most school budgets go to personnel and so it's in the principal's best interest particularly for a brand new school to -hmm. make sure that people are in the right places that the right positions are created um, and that people are supported to the max Um, time 
So I always say to people, we make time for what, for what we want and what is a priority. So I think a lot of people say, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym. No, you, 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 can, it, you can prioritize that if you choose, but there's some other things that are conflicting. And so for me, time has been as valuable as money in terms of um, streamlining systems to make them more efficient in terms of, of, of the, the physical composition of the day, right? So where people are, when, and why. Um, all of that can save you tons of money and tons of headache. Okay. So if someone wanted to work at uh, Eagle Academy, just real quick, if mm-hmm. you could tell us three, what are three things that you look for when you're hiring uh, great staff? Because mm-hmm. obviously your staff supports you. I've been in your building. I've seen the way that uh, your staff and, you know, your teachers, that they conduct themselves. So what are, give us just three things that you look for when hiring. Um, the first is the ability to reflect. Right. And so one of the things that we assess very early on for any staff members coming on board is what are the processes you go through in your daily to reflect on your craft, on what you did well, on what you didn't do well. Um, This is one of the types of professions that, I mean, you have to be able to go and understand that there are going to be good days and bad days. And teaching is scientific. It is not magical. Right. And so, you know, whenever there is. You know, I have an educator say it was a great lesson. There are very specific things that that educator did and put in place to make that lesson good. It wasn't just, well, the kid just happened to get it that day. They did something to make sure that the children get it. And so um, reflection is the first thing. The second thing um, is the ability to take feedback. And so as a small school um, and just the type of person that I am, um, I, I, I don't live in the world of passive aggressiveness. I don't live in the culture of nice. And so when I see things that are, that are, that are amazing, I want to call it out to the carpet immediately. And when I see things that are of concern, I want to call it to the carpet immediately. And for some people, that's a struggle because schools, um, schools can sometimes navigate or operate in the culture of nice, meaning that, you know, um, kind of the anecdotal where, you know, you come in and you say, good morning, and someone says, um, good morning back, and you say, how, how was your day? And you just expect them to say, fine, thank you. Um, mm. And then the person says, like, no, I actually had a miserable day. And you're like, okay, have a good day. Right? right. Like, we live, we live in this very routine, you know, schools can be very routine. And so just being able to understand that feedback is coming is important. Um, and the third is... Um, the ability to wear multiple hats. And so there are some teachers um, that they're amazing at their craft, and that is what they do. They say, I teach science, I come in, I teach science, and I leave. And that's a great thing to do. Um, but in our school, there ha- you have to be able to do something else. What else are you contributing to the school space, whether that's in a mentorship capacity, a, a, a sports capacity, um, a programming? Or what else can you do? Because every single person in my building wears two to seven hats, literally. Wow. That's a lot of hats, man. That's a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> in, our, in our first year, um, when I didn't have the staff, you know, I was principal, secretary, um, like my office was the dean's office also, you know, so we, we all get used to wearing these different hats, but they grow us um, in the profession and make us stronger. So if you have this personnel, and I'm pretty sure everybody grows as they get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, as their uh, their tenure is uh, continuing under your your uh, under your leadership. Yes. So, how do you handle those who may not be where you need them to be? 
um, initially in terms of some of those things, like ability to take feedback or wear the multiple hats to, you know, how do you handle that or how do you help people to, like you said earlier, be able, yeah. you know, you support them in order so that they can be able because they're already willing. I think it goes back to, to operating with best intentions. And this is literally something that like all of my leadership team knows constantly. I'm asking them the question, are you operating with best intentions? Nobody wants to walk into their classroom and like kids are kids are not learning and they're frustrated. No one wants to do a bad job, but there are reasons why they may be doing um, they may not be up to level at that point. And so, you know, to answer your question about, well, what happens to people? First, I need to identify um, there's willingness and there's able. So I can be willing to do something, mm-hmm. um, but not able to do that because I'm missing um, a knowledge, a skill or a mindset. So those are the three things that that, you know, in any organization, you have to coach your staff in those three areas. So what I mean by that is when you're assessing what people can and cannot do, the first thing you have to identify is does it fall in one of those three buckets? It allows for for um, how do you say um for solutions that actually make sense. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I can actually, if, I, if I'm assessing, I can say, well, that's the issue. This teacher is new and they are missing certain skills as it relates to classroom management. So I'm going to do that. Or they actually do, they don't know math. So I need to, like, get them some training around the math. Or they have a mindset. Like, they don't believe that this group of children can learn. Those once you decide or once you've assessed on which one of those buckets mm-hmm. your staff falls into, then you're able to properly support. Okay, so definitely um, being able to identify. Yes, as you said. Yes, it's okay. assessing. It's constant assessing, and that requires me to not be in my office. Um, it requires me to be in my classrooms. It requires me to be in my halls. It requires me to be outside. If you you know. You know, any anyone that walks around the school, they know that I greet the kids in the morning. Right. Um, but I'm also seeing staff members as they enter the building because it's always important to pulse check. I'm down at the grocery stores. If I got to be at the three, two in the park, we got we have to be present. And I mm-hmm. think that one of the things that have shifted um, in terms of schooling is that people feel like, well, I'm only going to be in, in, in my space and right. the outside community. I'm going to close the door. And we, we believe the opposite. We believe we got to be out there. We got to be present. Now, it sounds like you have a, a unique approach to being a principal and what it is that your expectations are. I saw this video a little while ago. I'm not sure if you saw it, uh, where a guy talked about how technology has changed and how mm-hmm. driving has changed and all of these different things. But he said that education mm-hmm. it seems to still be taught the same way that it was hundreds of years ago. What's mm-hmm. your opinion on that? And what are some ways that you think that we could take it to the next level with the edu? That so that's all. That, oh goodness, that's education. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really big question. Um, and my response to that is always until we figure out for the sake of what, like why, why, so, what are we trying to produce, mm-hmm. right? So back in you know when schooling started, it was a very clear purpose. We we need to make sure that these students are assimilated, that they understand routines, cultures, procedures, and that they're also ready to work afterwards. I'm not so sure if, if we have that same um, 
benchmark? If everyone has the same frame of thought about that. And so depending on who you ask, you may get different answers. So I think until we figure out what are we educating kids to do, we're all allowed to make up our own answers, right? And so for me, it's about access and opportunity. This is why we do what we do so mm -hmm. that students can leave our high school and say, I could have gone to Cornell. I choose to go to this school because I want to. Um, or I had this opportunity and now I have access to this particular um, benefit, right? Um, that's our priority. That's our bottom line. Okay. I want to go, I want to backtrack a little bit and go back to when you were going through your transition from getting your master's degree, mm. you know, now, you know, being a young principal, the criticism or the, the uh, pressure that may come with that. How do you handle naysayers or how did you handle naysayers uh, during these times? Even now? I talk to them. Ask them questions. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, can't, I can't stress enough the importance of operating on best intentions. And so even a naysayer, um, and they're, like, there is a reason, there is something that I may have done either noting, uh, knowingly or unknowingly um, that could have put them in this position. And so um, I, love, I love a parent that's upset because I want to go and I want to talk to them and I want to say why. Like, talk to me. Why, like, what's happening? Um, I can't tell you that my... Because sometimes, like, people people will choose to not engage. People will choose to kind of just either brush it under the rug or they'll build it up to something bigger. But, you know, anyone that's a, that's a naysayer, um, I really want to know why. I want to know, well, what's the issue? What's, what's going on? Um, so I talk to them. Wow. I, I like that, man. So... Even on this journey, you figured out, you know, to engage with the naysayers in order to figure out what the root of the problem is and mm -hmm. then be able to assess it and move past it or actually be able to fix it. Have you ever doubted yourself um, on your journey? If so, how and how did you overcome it? Um, wow. Um, I, I, I definitely have. Uh, I've been in spaces of doubt. Um, I don't tell people that. Uh, because one of the things when you are starting, in, uh, starting a school or, or when you're the principal of a school or when you're the head of an organization mm -hmm. is that you are put in that position because there is an assumed level of confidence, right? And saying you are the final say, you are the final word. And so you have to be able. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a pressure on you because you don't, uh, don't want to say, I don't know. Right. Because if I don't know, then who knows? Um, and so Good point. Uh, at the beginning, when I opened the school, I, 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 I had a lot of doubts. And actually what I started to do, because I believe that we need to like in part of our reflection process is getting things out into the universe, whether that is by writing, um, recording, whatever that is. So what I did is actually recorded myself for weeks up until we opened the school and what were you recording i was recording just my thoughts kind of like a like a like a like a visual journal entry um right. i wanted to use it also for you know principals opening schools to kind of like if they ever needed it um that was kind of like my original thought press process but i really would just kind of all the way until opening day i would say like this is what i'm doing these are my doubts mm -hmm. this is my concerns um, and that was really helpful for me because the principalship is a lonely seat. Um, and so there, even though there are people that you consider confidants, um, I think a principal or, or um, any other um, um, 
head leadership You're role. You're like a CEO. Yeah, there, there is a level of, at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. At the end of the day, these are your employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they don't, while they can empathize with you, they, they don't know what it is to be in that position. Um, so, you know, especially shifting from a teacher, you know, little things like eating lunch by yourself. Like, who am I going to eat I, who am I eating lunch with? Or when, whenever I do eat lunch. Because it could be favorite. It could be seen as being favorite. It could. Playing favorites, it right? It could. Um, there's a concept wow. called the inner outer circles. Yeah. It's a theory. Um, but essentially, it's just a, theor- a theoretical framework that says, like, in an organization, there is an inner group mm-hmm. that has access to information, access to the leadership, and then there's an outer group. And the one of the things that really talks about is the leader the leaders need to understand that so that way because there's consequences right. if the if the inner group hates the outer group or vice versa um so, so yeah. how do you navigate that who do you who do you eat lunch with <laughs> uh i i eat lunch by myself uh, right because as, as i'm seeing it i'm kind of like dude it's probably really smart to not eat lunch with anybody uh, I, I i know um I, I i honestly eat lunch by myself um but um in terms of inner outer circle dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things in, in, in my school community is about um, transparency, about like saying when I don't know, um, about being open and honest with staff, um, about clearly defined roles, um, and then also about giving folks choice. So there is not a staff member in my building that has made a special request that it hasn't been considered. Right. So if an educator wants to start a club or if they, you know, want to want to work on this committee, all of that, it's not just limited to, say, the best educators Mm -hmm. um, or or the ones that 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 stay the longest. So everything is open for everyone. And I think that that is an an important, um, not only symbolically, but just in terms of structurally. Okay, so I got to ask this just because I'm a nerd and I really want to (laughs) know, dude, what is your favorite subject? My favorite, <laughs> my favorite subject. Um, well, I taught history, so I, I guess I'm supposed to say that, but that, that's actually not true. Um, my favorite subject was science. Okay. Um, I loved, I loved the investigation part of it. I loved the inquiry part of it. Um, I loved, like, I just loved all those aspects of it. So I actually excelled um, in science. Mm-hmm. Um, History is a it was is another passion, so I just happen to become a history teacher. But science okay. is my favorite subject. Don't gotcha. tell anybody. Favorite su- favorite quote. My favorite quote. Interestingly enough, I actually don't know who wrote this quote, so you know, forgive me. But um, the quote is: "Life is ten percent what happens to us, and ninety percent how we react to it." Um, and I just think it. People spend so much time dealing with the things that are not in their control and and t- and letting that take life energy away from them that they don't focus on their responses to things they don't focus on the things that are in their control um, and so so that quote just resonated with me okay now one of the other things is you make it mandatory to take two vacations per year for at least eight to ten days and you've seen a lot of the world like you definitely somebody who I was trying to go on a trip with you, man. When you told me you were going to Cuba, I'm like, dude, I want to hang out with you. you you're <laughs> everywhere. I'm seeing pictures of you at the top of Mount Fuji, Thailand. Like, so where are some of the, your favorite places that you've been? Uh, you named them. Uh, Japan, uh, okay. Thailand, um, Ecuador, uh, 
a lot of people wouldn't think Ecuador, but Ecuador. Why Ecuador? Um, the the biodiversity is is incredible. It's incredible to be at, you know, zero degrees latitude and longitude, and like to feel, to feel like how the Earth is different at that point. It's it's actually really really interesting. Mm, what does it feel like? Um, well, you're lighter. Um, water, like they have this thing where they have this, um, like a bucket. And they pour water in it, and it and it spirals. And then when you take it to the other side, it spirals in reverse. And when you, they take it to zero degrees latitude, it just drops straight down. There's an egg. They have like an egg on a nail, and you can balance the egg at zero degrees. It's just like these very weird, again, sign science nerdy things dude i i, I want to go to ecuador now. yeah not, not, <laughs> i mean not to mention that the amazon's incredible and i actually went with students and we got to work in the amazon for a few days and that was the best service work i've ever done and that's another thing you all do you guys go on a trip every single year that you go with the students we do we do um travel going to that concept of access and opportunity in new york new york is is one of the greatest places on earth, but it, but there's consequences to having everything here. And one of those things are, we don't believe it's necessary to leave. Right. Um, we stay sometimes even in our borough, right? Like we don't, yes. Bronx people don't go to Brooklyn, you know, I mean, now there's the Barclays, so I guess we kind of have to, but like, <laughs> you know, like that's the real of it. And so, um, from early on, since I was a teacher, I made it my, my, one of my missions to make sure that, um, the children that access, um, that they had access to, to going abroad on these trips. I mean, in, in other schools, in the suburbs, they do it. Why can't our boys do it? Absolutely. Um, and so um, this year, actually this year we were leaving for China. Um, last year went to Ecuador. I don't know what we're going next year, but just giving that opportunity for families and for students to get exposure to the oh, world. Okay. What three things would you tell to our listeners who are looking to create their best lives and, you know, experience similar success to you? Um, the first thing I will say is um, the money will come. And so I think people, particularly in the ed field, people steer away from certain professions because they're afraid of, well, I'm not going to make the money that I need to make and I could make money doing something else. But when you're doing what you love and you're not, you know, people say when well, you're doing what you love, you never work a day in your life kind of thing. Um, one, that's true. And I, and I am a, and a, a testament to that. But two, the money will come. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is when entering a profession or thinking about that, um, for the sake of what? So what is the purpose? What is the reason why you're entering that particular field or profession? Um, some of us spend too much time um, kind of just accepting circumstances and not necessarily um, providing purpose. And the third thing, what would the third thing be? Um, I don't know. I think only those two are fine. Um, but if I had to add a third one, I would probably say if, you know, besides what are you entering this venture for, if not this, then what, right? So what's the backup plan? Um, if you're not going to enter this profession, what is the backup plan? What is the game plan? I tell my students that all the time. Like, I get it. You want to be an NBA player, and I'm with you. I support you. Um, but what happens if you don't? Like, what's the game plan? Right. Um, what's the backup plan? We all have to have a backup plan. Um, we got a MacGyver, you know? Got you. One question that I just got from one of my staff members, because, you know, at the Creative Life <laughs> Series, we are serious about travel. <laughs> Leah wants to know, 
can we volunteer on your trips? Um, yes. So there's, there's, there's two quick questions. That the reason why there was a question mark yes was only because um, it j- chaperones have to pay sometimes. Okay. So if you want to pay to go on a trip, you're more than welcome. Oh, trust me. She's uh, willing and ready. We <laughs> just came back from we'll like a month abroad. <laughs> you know. And actually, man, speaking of you and how you run things, uh, DB Chambers, she says, and I quote on Facebook Live, Love this interview with Principal Bathia. We love him at Eagle Harlem. And this is coming from a parent that has been there from day one. She yes, wrote she that. Yes, she has. How you doing? So, D.B. Chambers, thank you for tuning in on the Create Your Life series. And uh, so what's next for you and Eagle Harlem? Um, we're, all, we're focused on 2020, on our first graduating class, um, and making sure that 100% of them have access um, to whatever they choose their next path to be. And so that is the work that we're doing. Um, and everything, every decision that I make um, and every program that we execute is going to lead to that day. So I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to see that happen and manifest itself into graduation caps, college acceptances, um, scholarship money. Right. That's, that's, that's the game plan. Okay. Well, Principal Wathi, I want to say thank you, man, for uh, coming and being on the show with this man and teaching us about the ins and outs of being a founding principal. Thank you, sir. It was, it was great. It was great. Oh, absolute pleasure. So, Create Your Life Series family, what we're going to do is we're going to cut to a quick musical break before I come back with a recap of all of these great things that Principal Bathia has blessed us with. So we're going to do that. And if you have any questions, please feel free to call in or you want to speak to Principal Bathia. If your child needs to be at Eagle Academy and be under this dynamic man, then call us up here. 212-650-6903. Create Your Life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. We are back. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. And we just had the opportunity to listen to Principal Bathia of Eagle Harlem. He gave us a lot of insight on how... Being a principal is similar to running a startup company, being CEO, managing leadership. And I mean, I got jewels and jewels. I'm going to actually go back and listen to this interview today so that I can pull away some of these concepts. I just couldn't write fast enough for the things that he was uh, saying to us. And so some of the things that he said that I thought were really important were, number one, you have to operate with uh, best intentions in mind and that you feel that the people who are around you and who are working with you and supporting you, that they are operating with their best intentions. And when they're frustrated and, you know, things aren't going their way, then it's important for you to stay uh, happy or smile in his case, because he's always smiling. So for you to smile and understand where they're coming from and understand that they are actually operating at their best intentions at that time. Uh, he also said that if you you're definitely going to have to be willing to lose your job in order to be a principal, it's the same thing as being a CEO. And when we say be willing to lose your job, that means that you're willing to do whatever it takes in order to make sure for him it would be to make sure that his that his kids are you know being served in the best way possible so that they can have access to the resources to go on and have productive futures actually to go on and create their lives. And the same thing as CEO, you have to be willing to go all in late nights, et cetera, et cetera, in order to make that happen. Uh, He said that one of the things that he did to change the culture of the school was he replaced everything that was old with new in order to establish a culture um, of, you know, you have access and you are worthy. Then he said, you know, you also have to be uh, willing uh, to support your staff members, you have to understand the difference in mindsets, mindsets, you know, that some are going to be willing. So you have to be able to support them so that they can be able. Definitely going back and re-listening to that part about that. And he said that, you know, time 
is valuable because is as valuable as money because it helps you to streamline and organize. And he also said that when he's hiring, he looks at people and he looks at three things, you know, their ability to reflect their, their also number two, their ability to take feedback. And he calls out amazing on the spot. And he also calls out area of, of areas of improvement immediately as well. He said, number three, you have to have the ability to wear multiple hats because at his school, you were in between two and seven hats. Easy. Uh, another thing he said, wow, man, dude, you just dropped so much knowledge. I'm sitting there. I feel like I'm reading like an essay. Uh, he says you have to be constantly assessing. And for him, that looks like being outside of his office and being involved in the culture and with the kids. And then he said another thing. <laughs> he engages with his naysayers, you know, so that he can further understand where they're coming from so that he can then uh, help them move forward and then solve the problem. And then the last thing. No, not even the last thing. I still got a couple more. He said that he recorded his thoughts uh, for reflection via video so that then he could understand his doubts in the areas that he wanted to improve in and things that he wanted to do better. And now for the last three things that he said, he said that the money's going to come. And to always ask yourself, what are you entering this venture for? You know, for the sake of what or for the sake of who? Make sure that you're in tune with your moral compass. And the last thing, if not this then what? What's your backup plan? And you, as you know, Create Your Life Series family, backup plan? Eh, you know, we, we vary in, in opinions on that. I, I'm more so of the mindset of going all in. But at the same time, you know, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to respect that and understand that different avenues and different things, different dreams require certain actions. Because the other thing is for a lot of kids, they want to become professional athletes and they haven't even, um, they don't even work out every day or even play the actual sport, but they want to go to the league. And so helping them to understand that, you know, you can be an agent or for those who are good enough. Look, the average person's playing in the league four years. What are you going to do afterwards? Cause you're still going to be a young man. So create your life series family. That's what we have for you. And here's um, a word from our sponsor. And then we're also going to be out. This episode of the create your life series is brought to you by Manage soul food and salad bar restaurant in Harlem, New York. Manners is open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Manners has been serving soul food in Harlem for 31 years. They have now added healthier options to their 8th Avenue locations menu, such as steamed dumplings and fresh salad bar, and all of their food is cooked with fresh herbs like garlic, rosemary, thyme, basil, and ginger. You can find out which location is close to you by visiting their website, soulfood.com. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. 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 You better create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life.